just got back from vacation on uh, some of us just got back from vacation on Saturday uh, a little bit jet lagged this week but uh, we've made it and we are here uh, worshiping with all of you about a month ago our, our family traveled up to, to northern Indiana to Goshen where uh, my family lives and my wife's family lives for my niece's high school graduation open house it was a great time to see family and become reacquainted with uh, with friends from the area we had an interesting conversation with a friend who is an advocate for the church plant that I started up there uh, they are still involved in a traditional church and uh, and she said COVID was a time where we could reimagine church and sadly church has not been reimagined she went on to explain how COVID changed the church service structure and format and that it was streamed but she was left feeling empty and hollow because of the relationships that they built were no longer functioning as community or as friends she said the church is now meeting in person but what was the point in going since there is such a disconnection with people a comment that is also striking coming from her because her and her husband I know them to be God-fearing and Jesus loving people they are faithful they also hunger for more her words how do we reimagine church is something I have wrestled with over the last six years there is a holy discontent with the status quo for so many people something is better out there something needs to change so I ask you this morning what is your definition of church what would it be take a few minutes or moments and think about the images and concepts that come to your mind when you think about answering this question what is church I'll give you a few moments to think about that It is interesting to me how the first century church started as an organic network. The apostles wrestled with theological and organizational issues, some of the same kinds of issues that we wrestle with today, but they were not burdened with the bureaucracy of the institution of church. That came a couple of hundred years later. The church relied on organic growth developed primarily through intense discipleship and the power of the Holy Spirit the first couple of hundred years and it grew from nothing to about 3 million people by 300 AD how is that possible they were a peculiar people who endured hardships and persecution and alienation and isolation and they were also intensely focused on discipleship so much so that it took years 
of discipling somebody before they would uh, consider them to be a member of the church. They devoted themselves to understanding what it meant to follow Jesus, and through that commitment, they became very generous with the poor. So much so, actually, that it threatened the Roman emperor and the Roman empire because they wanted to be seen as the source of all life. They did not want people looking to another source. What was so different about them that they became a magnet for humanity? And what was the meaning of church for them? How did their meaning cause purpose? And what activities did they pursue? Theologians call the filtering of theological and ecclesiological understandings throughout history as reductionism. And the contemporary church today undoubtedly falls into this category. Reductionism is a loss of original meaning that occurs from a variety of factors and always results in a part of the whole rather than the entire whole. So this can occur through a variety of ways, through an eagerness to understand uh, based on analytical thinking or of an over-reliance on routinized habits or where insiders fail to consider or see the overarching idea of governing. In other words, people get lost in the details. Theologian, missiologist, and practicing missional leader Alan Hirsch says that the contemporary church is an heir to the many theological reductionisms throughout history, and it blocks our capacity to see the whole. And because we can't see the whole, we fail to respond to the challenge of our times. Part of this reductionism, in terms of church structure and purpose, we inherited from the 4th century. So in the 4th century, Constantine became the Roman emperor, and in 313 AD, he had a dream the night before a battle. In his dream, he saw a cross of light in the sky, along with the Greek words, in this sign you will conquer. And conquer he did. And in doing so, he then made Christianity the official religion of the empire, moving it from a subversive, persecuted, and organic religion to a religion that had privilege and power and military might. The church now had influence and power where it once had no political or economic or military power. We see this particular struggle played out in the American church today with a large swath of the church still trying to maintain political, economic, cultural, and military power. But the church was never meant to have political power in this kind of manner or method. Rather, the church maintained its mark on humanity by welcoming the least, the lost, the marginalized, by taking care of the poor and needy, and in these subversive and humble ways, established a new kind of political ethic. But with military, political, and economic power, the 4th century church became more focused internally on itself 
and primarily use the gifts of teaching and shepherding or pastoring aspects of the church instead of the fullness of what we see in Ephesians 4. In Ephesians 4.11, it is noted that there is apostle, prophet, evangelist, shepherd or pastor, and teacher. This inward focus caused an imbalance and a focus on who's in and who's out. A closed set system, uh, sociologists note that a closed system concept is what churches embrace today. A closed set system is a group of insiders who make it challenging for an outsider to enter and an open system open set system allows for freedom of movement where those who are close to the center can move outward or those in the outward regions can move inward this occurs because there's no gatekeeper open systems tend to foster a non-judgmental and grace-filled posture that by definition are not threatened by change or challenges to the status quo now you might be saying but you just finished telling us that the first century church took their discipleship so seriously that it was actually difficult to become part of the church and that's completely true but they also fostered an open set system so how can that also be true so let me go back to my earlier question of you when you think of church, what kinds of things come to your mind? For some of us, and this is myself included, I often think about what we are doing right now, the Sunday local gathering. But what if that's not what church actually means? What if our concepts of church are formed primarily by, by our experiences, such as growing up in a church that gathered together at the same time on Sunday morning and did the usual things like singing and preaching and Sunday school? And what if those concepts are the primary result of a focus on the pastor and teaching aspects of the church which is a result of the reductionism started in the fourth century. So what if our current concept of church is actually a result of reductionism? This is challenging, right? Because it is difficult for us to see things in their original wholeness because we are part of the system that has become captive to the reductionisms throughout history. So what is the whole church instead of just the part we often see today? Hirsch explains the prominence of the Ephesians 4 passage in this respect. The whole book of Ephesians is considered the primary source for ecclesiological understandings because it's primarily a book about the meaning and purpose of church. Ephesians 4 shows us how the roles in church should function. 
Ephesians 4.11. The gifts he gave were that some would be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers. Hirsch explains not only that these are roles for the church, but the Greek etymology of these words indicates that they are actually human archetypes. In other words, each human being is gifted with primarily one or two of these gifts because it is simply in our nature, in our DNA. It's how God created us as a human being. Hirsch explains how the writer of Ephesians saw each of these archetypes in Jesus and how Jesus repurposed them for the church. Let's briefly look at each one so you know what I mean. Apostle. This person is a pioneer, an innovator, an entrepreneur, an adventurer, a designer, a visionary. Look around at society today. Do you see those kind of people in our midst? The function of an apostle within the church then would be a focus on vision and integrity to the concept of the whole church, not just the part. The apostle is organized around sentness with functions such as church planning and cross-cultural missions. These people are designers of church organic networks. They're missional trainers trainers, they're founders of organizations and movements. They are innovators of missional practice and pioneers of doing church contextually to the contemporary context that they find themselves in. Prophet. This person is a seer, a warrior, a poet, a reformer, a seeker of justice, they can be activists, artists, musicians, ethicists, liberators, anarchists, hackers, spiritualists, mystics, environmentalists, whistleblowers. Again, look around at society. Do you see any of those? The function of a prophet within the church would be a focus on faithfulness calls to repentance, speaking truth to power, and embracing a radical kingdom ethic. They maintain a God-focused orientation, bring words of knowledge and prophetic insight. They are intercessors, social activists, and questioners of the status quo. Evangelist. This person is a messenger, achiever, believer, storyteller. They are mobilizers, recruiters, communicators, motivational speakers, networkers, marketers. They work in sales. These are people that have a natural ability to talk to others and make others feel at ease. The function of the evangelist within the church is to invite, recruit, inspire, maintain a commitment to the gospel theology and ethos. They are recruiters to the movement, storytellers, and communicators. I want to pause before going on to the next two because it is important to note that these three functions, the apostle, prophet, and evangelist, 
are primarily concerned and focused outside of the gathered church community. Remember when I said the early church was both devoted to strong discipleship and had an open set mentality. This is how they achieved that. Their gatherings were primarily for people discipled over years committed to following Jesus, while the apostles, prophets, and evangelists were sent out engaging others about Jesus and the love of God. That should give us pause, I think, for how we are doing church today. And we can see how reductionism has infiltrated our current understandings. Shepherd or pastor, this person is a caregiver, defender, peacemaker, helper, servant, selfless, and healer. They are elders, lover of humanity, humanizers, parents, cultivators, counselors, mediators, healthcare workers, and human resource folks. Their function within the church is to cultivate loving and caring community that protects its members, maintains relationships, and develop pathways for maturity and discipleship. They are pastoral caregivers, spiritual directors, first responders, healers, and community reconcilers. Teacher. This person is a thinker, an observer, a philosopher, a guide, a scientist. They are coaches, instructors, researchers, teachers, accountants, professors, theologians. They are people that are able to take complex ideas and explain them in ways other people understand. They are writers, thinkers, truth-tellers, philosophers, and theologians. Now it's interesting to note that when all five are present, the writer of Ephesians explains, this is the fullness of Christ in verse 4, 13. So we are missing the fullness of Christ when we only focus on the pastor and teacher aspects of church. Reductionism, indeed. So practically, how does this work or function today? I would like you to consider any small group that you have ever been in throughout your life. Think about that group. Now think about the five archetypes and their functions. Can you see each one present? I can almost guarantee that they are all there. Apostle. The person that started the small group and concerned most with its ongoing mission. Prophet. The person calling attention to social injustices. Evangelist, the person who makes everyone feel comfortable and at ease and loves telling people about God's love. Pastor, the person who, often to the side and quietly, 
asks how people are doing. They genuinely care. Teacher, a person who is able to explain complex ideas in ways that are understandable. I personally feel like the small group concept that we have today is the closest representation to the whole church that exists, particularly in the American church. So how do we reimagine church? I think part of what Trinity has gone through and is currently going through is our concept of reimagining church. This is a time to explore, to be creative, to engage ideas, and we're doing those things. How do we reimagine church? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we are grateful to gather today and we love you and we are faithful to you and we recognize that there is certainly brokenness across cultures in our own culture and throughout the world there is a deep discontent discontent among many people who are faithfully following you wondering what is the best way to connect with others that might need some kindness and some love because they've never really experienced that. We pray for you to guide us and give us wisdom as we seek your purpose and the purpose of the church. We pray this in your mighty and powerful name. Amen.